Good to be with you this morning. Um, as I was coming in, I was just thankful for your hospitality, uh, your invitation. Um, when I came into the kitchen and, and got some coffee earlier, I noticed uh, there were some cookies there. And I know it's always going to be a good morning when there are cookies. Um, I, I even, I even uh, put one in my pocket for later. Um, I... I have a good appetite. Uh, I always have. Um, I enjoy eating. And my, my mom said to me uh, a number of years ago, she said, you know, the only time that you were not hungry growing up was when you were either sick or in love. <laughs> but it's good to... Hunger is a good thing. And, and spiritual hunger is a great thing. And I want to appeal to your spiritual hunger this morning. Uh, I'm asking that the Lord would speak to that, that He would stir it, that He would draw you into His presence and His purposes for your life. How many of you have hunger this morning for the Lord? Amen. Amen. I, I sense that as we worshiped. Um, and it's always good to be in a place where you sense hungry people and the presence of God. So I'm anticipating a great morning. Uh, I am going to ask you at the end of uh, the service today uh, to respond. And I'm going to ask you to respond in prayer uh, based on your hunger. So uh, that's where we're headed. Let me give you a little bit of a lay of the land this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. You can open your Bibles. And we're going to be in that chapter primarily. I'm going to make three observations from this passage. And then I'm going to give us four tools that Jesus gave his disciples uh, from this passage. So that's where we're going. And um, let me me begin uh, by reading just a, a verse at the beginning of Luke chapter 11. It begins by... Uh, laying out uh, what was happening. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, that sounds like a harmless little prayer. I mean, it's, it's just five words. But I would submit to you that that may be the most dangerous prayer that you'll ever pray. It may be the most formative prayer that you'll ever pray. I I believe it has the potential to radically transform your life. Uh, It it certainly uh, set the life of the disciples in a new direction. But let me submit to you that once you learn to, to pray... Well, you you can receive anything from God that He wants you to have. Uh, As I was saying earlier, this this little prayer set in motion a whole new way of life for the disciples. And I suspect that this little prayer may set a new direction for you as well. You see, the, the disciples had seen many people pray. 
Uh, Prayer in their culture happened all the time. It happened multiple times a day. There was a lot of ritual prayer in the culture. But they had never seen anyone pray the way that Jesus prayed. I mean, his prayer life, I I suspect, was vibrant. I expected it was alive. I expected it had results. I expected um, there was something in it that was so life-giving that the disciples themselves were drawn to ask this question. I mean, listen, you've been in prayer meetings that were absolutely nothing like this. How How many of us can say we've been in prayer meetings that often seemed a lot more like duty than delight? I've been there, you've been there, I I suspect we all have. But not so with Jesus. I I suspect he was animated. I suspect there was something going on with him that was interactive between him and heaven and the Father. I, I expect that Jesus was living out of the prophecy of Isaiah that there would be joy in the house of prayer. I mean, why else would the disciples have asked, Lord, teach us to pray? Prayer inundated that culture. They'd seen it before. Now, you don't ask someone to teach you to do what bores them. You don't ask somebody to teach you to do what wears them out. You ask them to teach you what they do best. And I suspect that is what was going on here between Jesus and the disciples. Now, if you had a day to spend with anybody to ask them how to do things, you would ask them how to teach you what they did best. I know this might be a dangerous illustration, but if you had the day to spend with Tom Brady, what would you ask Tom Brady to teach you? That is, somebody just stepped on my line. I, I would probably say, how do, you, how do you cheat the way you do? But, but we're, being, uh, we're, being, we're not being very generous to Mr. Brady, are we? No, you, you would ask him, how do you throw the football like that? Hey, look, even, even if we're Steeler fans, you, you've got to be able, as a Christian, to recognize talent. You would ask him, how, how, do, how do I throw the football? If you had an opportunity to spend the afternoon with um, Jeff Bezos and pick his brain, uh, you'd want to know how he was able to make a, a, or build a money-making internet empire like Amazon. And you would ask him what he was best at. I, I would submit to you that there must have been something so winsome, so infectious about the prayer life of Jesus that it drew the disciples out to ask, Lord, teach us to pray just the way that you do it. I mean, let's think about this. Scripture doesn't record that the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to preach, even though Jesus' preaching astounded people. Scripture doesn't record that the disciples said, Lord, teach us to heal. 
Although it's true that Jesus' healing ministry resurrected the dead. We don't see recorded that the disciples said, Lord, teach us how you come alongside the, uh, the most broken in society and, and minister to them. Although every outcast and outsider was drawn to Jesus like a moth to flame. No. After three and a half years of, of ministry alongside Jesus, after every revival service, at the end of every uh, leadership debriefing around the fire, I believe what the disciples concluded was this. The public ministry of Jesus was the result of his private life of prayer. And that's why the one recorded question that we have in Scripture of the disciples asking Jesus anything was, Lord, teach us to pray the way you do. Now, from this verse we we learn several things. We learn that John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Now, Jesus' disciples knew that spiritual leaders did that kind of thing. Um, I'm glad for the spiritual leaders in my life who have taught me how to do things like this. Um, well, in, in fact, uh, as we consider uh, the scriptures, the leaders in John's family, his mom and dad, John the Baptist, they were, they were people of prayer. John himself was born as a direct answer to prayer. And uh, I'm, I'm glad for, for spiritual leaders who, who teach us these kinds of things. Uh, I count it as a, a blessing to hear all the leadership stories, uh, my, my own family stories. Uh, my, my grandfather, uh, they said, used to go down into a hollow and, and pray with great passion out of the brokenness of his own marriage for the future of marriages in our family's generations. My, my dad, I watched him nearly every day of my, my growing up life. Uh, when I would come into the, the living room in the morning, he would be at the same spot, in the same position, with an open Bible next to him, praying on his knees. That was the picture I saw every morning of my dad. Uh, my, my dad, um, over a simple dinner prayer, my, my dad could make you think that uh, heaven was in the room. He, he would pray over meatloaf, sometimes with great passion. And I knew even then that it wasn't about the meatloaf. I love my mom, but I've had her meatloaf. She's good at a lot of things, just not the meatloaf. It, it wasn't the meatloaf. What my dad knew then and what I know now was that it was all about the presence of the one to whom he was praying and and the appropriate response of of worship in that presence. I I watched this uh, kind of stuff growing up, and I'm glad for it. But... 
you know, these guys saw leaders. The disciples saw uh, leaders teach on prayer. And, and it's good when our leaders model that for us. But in our text, we see that Jesus' prayer life was categorically at a higher level than anybody the disciples had seen. I mean, they'd seen the religious leaders of their day pray. But I don't think they'd ever seen anybody pray like this. Let's just think of some of the times they caught him in the act of praying. They frequently found him early in the morning or late at night off somewhere praying, lost in communion with with his father. There was that time on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is there with his three closest and, and they're praying and Jesus' whole appearance transforms and transfigures supernaturally. That must have been a little, little bit of a moment. <laughs> then how about the time when, when Jesus prayed, Father, thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. Now, Lazarus, come forth. They watched him uh, pray great prayers of blessing over those who were killing him, crucifying him on the cross as, as love for the enemy poured out of him. I mean, how, how transformative that must have been. And then the last thing that they saw him do there on the Mount of Olives before he ascended into heaven as he's lifting off. I mean, he got lift off. And as he's getting lift off, he's praying blessing over them. So they they saw it all through his life and, and ministry. And even at this point in Luke 11, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus' example had already provoked them. They'd seen enough to be hooked. They wanted to know the source. How do we do it the way you do it? And we see here in the text that they were hungry for God and they were eager to learn to pray. Now, it's interesting. At this point, Jesus had already modeled prayer. We know that he prayed with Peter and James and John up on the mountains. The disciples would often find him off praying by himself. But there's a stirring at this moment in the disciples for more. There's an evident spiritual hunger that's beginning to surface in them. And we see it as one of them asks, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, yes, it's one of them asking, but he's speaking on behalf of all of them. Teach us, Jesus. I mean, their their appetites had been whetted, and they they were hungry. And they were ready to press in. And it's my hope that God is putting hunger in us to press in to go after God in in prayer. It's my hope that He's stirring up our our appetite for prayer in our homes and in our churches and in our marriages. I'm so glad for 
prayer in my home. I mean, it's good to pray in church. But I'm so glad for prayer in my home. I, I, I don't have the time to count the stories of God making Himself known in our home. My, my, my desire is that God is, is stirring us to come to Him this morning in this way. But the truth is, and, and this is, this is the, I think, the most leveling passage in Scripture in regard to, to prayer. You know, if, if you've been around it for any length of time, sometimes you can start to think you, you know some things and, and uh, you know, maybe uh, you're coming along. But Paul himself, the great apostle, said, Come on, we don't know how to pray the way we should. He says, we don't know how to pray the way we ought to pray. That's so clear in the Scriptures. It couldn't be any more clear. But, it, but this means that we're all still approaching prayer as beginners, no matter how long we've been at it. No matter how many times we've found ourselves in prayer meetings or been, been around uh, spiritual environments. We're all beginners in prayer. Uh, my, my brother, uh, when he introduced me, said I worked for the College of Prayer. The truth is, we're all in the kindergarten of prayer. But God rewards hunger. And we see here in this text that Jesus responds to the disciples' hunger by giving them many useful prayer tools. I'm going to point out to you that he gives them a pattern. He gives them a picture. He gives them promises. And then he gives them the power. So let's look at the text. It says in Luke 2 through 4, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now that's in Luke chapter. That's in Luke 11. You could also go over to Matthew chapter 6, where we see this model prayer. But let me let me say that this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples in in response to their request was intended to be far more than just religious recitation. Many of us can pray this prayer by rote. Many of us can pray it by memory. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have Scripture memorized. If you grew up in an evangelical church, maybe you uh, prayed this prayer or you memorized this prayer in Bible quizzing. Uh, if you came from a, maybe a Catholic background, maybe uh, you, know, you, you prayed this prayer before school in the morning when you were checking out the cute guy or girl in the plaid uniform... I know I prayed this prayer at the beginning of every wrestling match with my team right before someone would let out a stream of profanity uh, in threat against the other team. And, And the point I'm making is that we were missing the point. It was rote. It was recitation. We were not connected to the prayer. We were not connected to the... Uh, one who gave the prayer. They were just words. We didn't get it. 
It, it was a, a religious mantra with absolutely no relevance to us. But Jesus' response here is no mere religious mantra. It's the most visionary, foundational prayer that's ever been given. I mean, the pattern he lays out here is a vision for a lifestyle of prayer. I, I don't think that this is just a suggestion from Jesus. I, I think if there was a better prayer or response to the disciples' question, I, I would assume that Scripture would record a better response for our posterity. But this is the prayer that Jesus gave to His disciples. This is the one prayer that He gave them. And I think that carries some fundamental weight and importance. Jesus plainly taught that His Father's house was to be a house of prayer. And the structure that He lays out here in this pattern is one in which we can live. Now, I don't have time this morning to unpack the whole pattern. I would love to come back and do that for you again sometime. But let me say this. Jesus begins his response with the most significant invitation that you'll ever be given. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Now, stay with me here. Yes, prayer is about getting answers. Yes, uh, prayer is about seeing God's power at work. And it's about His pro protection and His provision. But first and foremost, before anything else, it's about participating in the loving family dynamic of heaven. Jesus is welcoming His guys, His disciples, His followers into a place that maybe they haven't known before. A true home. I, I believe with this first sentence of response, Jesus is telling people, prayer is like coming home. It's the means by which we most grow in awareness of God's presence and receive His affection. To come into the presence of our loving Father. Look, I, I know that in a room of this size, not all of us have had great dads. But the Father is not every dad. The best of our dads only showed us a glimpse, and the worst can't hold a candle to who He is anyway. In other words, love is the foundation for understanding anything about prayer. Augustine said, all true prayer is nothing but love. And that's where we are positioned as we begin to learn to pray. Jesus wants our lives to be energized by love. Now, he, he gives a, a prayer picture as well. He says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the, other, uh, then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. 
The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give as much as he needs. Now this is a picture of persistence. And I'm so glad we have it because we need it. I mean, if we're going to press in and and go forward in prayer, this is exactly what we need. We need persistence. And it's what Jesus is encouraging with this picture. Now, let me ask you this question. How do you persist in prayer? How do you persist in the direction of prayer, in the midst of weakness and failure and apathy and boredom? I mean, we've all gone through the seasons. How do we persist? How do we stay at it? Well, we position ourselves in the headwaters of God's love. That's what we do. And that's why Jesus teaches that first. Position yourselves in the love of God and do the next right thing. If you've missed it, come on, get on board. The invitation is extended. The invitation from the Father is to always come home. Always. That's how you persist in prayer. Just keep coming home. We see that Jesus here gives prayer promises. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? These, are, these are, are promises that Jesus gives, and they're precious promises. They're amazing promises. And they're primarily promises that set us up to see who it is we're praying to. They're, they're promises that are essentially promises that God can be trusted. They're, they're promises that orient us in His character. You know, we sang about His name this morning. And as we, as we uh, spend time in His presence, considering His name, His great character, that does so much to inspire our prayer life. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you, you didn't know how to pray? You just kind of felt like, you know, the, 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 tent, the tent of your life around you was collapsed and you just couldn't see... You couldn't see an inch in front of you. You didn't know where to go. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know how to pray. But then somebody began, began to come around you and lift up praises to the character of God. And it's like that, that tent lifts over you and you begin to get vision. And you begin to be able to pray out of that vision into the circumstances and situations of your life. The character of God is so important, and these promises orient us to His His character. But finally, 
as we come to verse 13. It takes Jesus to verse 13 to really seal the answer to to this prayer, uh, to this question that the disciples ask. Jesus says to them in Luke 11, 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, in a sense, He's saying, Okay, if, if you want to learn to pray the way I do, you have to get this. This is the linchpin. If, if you want to learn to pray the way I do, you need to learn how to pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul teaches later on, keep in step with the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. So, so Jesus is saying, if you want to learn to do it the way I do it, you need to learn how to pray under the influence of the Spirit. That's how I pray. Learning to pray under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way you will be able to pray effectively. And thank God for the Spirit. Because it's by the Spirit that we do anything in the kingdom. Here, Paul reminds us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Lord, teach us to pray. I used to be so impressed by people who could just get their words right in prayer. You know, you've been around those environments where somebody launches off and like, man, that guy prayed an amazing prayer. But I'm less impressed today with prayers that sound amazing without amazing results. A guy, uh, I was talking to a gentleman earlier this morning uh, he had come up to me and we were sharing some conversation and he was uh, telling me about knowing or knowing of a, a guy that was a mentor to me and, and to some of my other mentors. Um, this guy, when I got to know him, was about 90 years old. He was considered uh, one of the uh, fathers of the modern prayer movement. And um, when I got to know him, this guy who had this huge reputation for prayer, I always wondered, how come I don't ever hear many words out of this guy his his words are are few his prayers are short this guy's a short prayer for the modern father of the prayer movement but if you if i could only tell you about the answers that followed his life As we learn to interface with the Spirit of God, we learn to pray in step with the Spirit. And if you're praying in accordance with the Spirit, guess what? You're going to get the results of heaven. Those are the facts. So so Jesus here gives them the, the power, the kicker, if you will. 
Now, I want to say, as I, I close this morning, Lord, teach us to pray is a prayer for hungry disciples. If, if you're a hungry disciple, this is your kind of prayer. It's brief, but it's honest. Some of the most brief and honest prayers I've ever prayed have been the most powerful. Prayers like, Lord, teach me to pray. Prayers like, help! <laughs> prayers like, more, Lord. But if you're hungry, those are honest, heartfelt, spirit-inspired prayers that God gives by the Spirit to His disciples to pray, and then He responds. The promise of heaven is that hungry disciples get fed. The promise of heaven is, seek and you will find. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us to to pray, they demonstrated a sincere hunger for God. Hunger for God is a foundational kingdom reality. Hunger for God is the first work of God. To hunger for God isn't to hunger for something from Him necessarily, as much as it is to hunger for His presence, to hunger for Him to come and be with and do among us what only He can do. More will happen in two minutes in the presence of God than can happen sometimes in in years in a disciple's life. All God's great men and women have, have demonstrated a hunger for Him. David said, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for you. Peter pray, or said, crave the pure spiritual milk. And Isaiah the prophet said something that our brother echoed this morning as he took us out of uh, that, that time of singing when he read the scripture out of Revelation. The call then and the call from Isaiah and the call now is come. Come, all who are thirsty, Isaiah said. Come. So if you're hungry and thirsty this morning, I want you to do just that. I want you to come. I want you to stand with me right now. Worship team, I want you to come. um, And as as you stand, I want to ask the worship team just to lead us in a, a response of worship to God And then I want to just give us a few points of leadership as we conclude our our time together.